This is the Tanakh Podcast with Alex Israel. Today, Malachim Bet, Perak Yudzayin, Chapter 17. Chapter 17 is jam-packed with so much. We have the lead-up to the Khurban of Shomron, then the exile of the Ten Tribes. We have a very long section which details the reasons why the Northern Kingdom suffered its demise. We, of course, have the transfer of the Ten Tribes to their various different locations. And then we have the story of the Shomronim, the Samaritans, otherwise known by Chazal as the Kutim, the people who came, the non-Jewish nations who came to Shomron were brought here by the Assyrians. So we've got quite a dilemma what to focus on today. Let's begin by asking how the exile, how did the ten tribes get lost? We always talk about the, the lost ten tribes. And here I want to focus on Pasuk Vav. Vayagel Yisrael Ashura, Vayoshev Otam Bachlach, they were spread out in, in four different locations, Bachlach, Chavor, Nahargozan, and Aremadai. And in their place, they brought a similar um, group of people from other locations. So we're told that the king of Ashur brought uh, nations from Bavel and from Kuta and from Ava and from Hamat, Saparvaim, and brought them to Shomron. What we're seeing here is the policy of the Assyrians. You know, there are three models of exile that we see in the upcoming period. The policy of the Assyrians was to engage in population transfer. Uh, they want to conquer the, the population and, what, and they want to destabilize them. So they take the, the, the population of Shomon and spread them out to multiple locations. They're moving people backwards and forwards throughout their empire. This is how they, in a very cruel way, ensure that there won't be rebellions and insurrections and, and, and um, you know, resistance. Now, this is devastating for the exile populations because they become completely unstabilized, so much so that... Chazal say that Sancherev has totally confused all the, uh, the nations. <laughs> that, in other words, if you find uh, somebody who is an ethnic Edomite, he's not an Edomite. Even an ethnic Amalekite, he's not an Amalekite. The question was raised, how possibly is it that we can accept converts today? Because we're not allowed to accept converts from Moab or from Edom or from Egypt. And the answer is that Sancherev has muddled up the ethnicity so much that the, those minorities are mixed into the majority, and therefore, once there's a mixture, we go according to the majority. It has halachic implication. By the way, there are two other models. The models of the Babylonian Empire was to always take away the leadership. In fact, we read later on, a few Prakim's time, that uh, when Nebuchadnezzar finds that Jerusalem has been disloyal, they exiled the, the 10,000 leaders, the, the royal family, the priests, the, the leaders of the economy, and so forth. But, but they keep them in a group such that when the Jews went 
by the rivers of Babylon when they when they were exiled to Babylon, they remained as an enclave and they kept their identity and they were able to stay as a community there. So we have the Assyrians who engage in population transfer, absolutely throwing everybody into disarray. The Babylonians have a method which removes the leadership, but still keeps them intact in exile. And there's actually a third technique, which is the Persians in the time of Cyrus, uh, later in the time of Darius, who believed uh, not in the stick, but in the carrot. They repatriated various different exiles with their original lands. And in fact, the, the Persian kings offered to pay to rebuild the temple. So you could work on the basis of giving your um, populations autonomy. That was Persia. Babylonia, removing the leadership. And the most devastating is the Assyrians, who move everybody around such that even if the Jews really wanted to come back, they'd find other people populating their, their farms and their villages. And it's interesting that we do have prophecies like in Yirmiyahu chapter 31, which hopes that the Shavu Banim Ligbulam, the people of uh, Yosef, right? The northern tribes are called Yosef, and Rachel Mavaka al Baneha. Rachel is crying for her children, her children being Yosef. There's a hope that Bashavu Banim Nugvulam, but it doesn't seem like that happened so soon. And uh, the other thing is, uh, of course, in Yecheskel, who dreams of the unification of Yehuda and Yosef. And in fact, there's a big debate in the uh, Tanaim about will the ten tribes be lost forever or will they actually come back? Let me just mention one remark here, and that is that the we do talk about the ten tribes being lost, but that's as a political entity. In terms of their DNA, in terms of actually people from the ten tribes, a lot of the peasantry remained in place. And in fact, when we read about something which happens in this period, the religious restoration of Hiskiahu, and later the religious restoration um, and the, the covenant that Josiah, King Yoshiahu makes, it talks about them inviting people from Manasseh and Ephraim and even from, from Naphtali and all the northern tribes. And we have lots of evidence that there were many people from all the 12 tribes who still remained in the land and sort of joined up with the, with the politic of, the, of, of Judah. In the end, we all became called Jews. Uh, Yehudim, as we're called in the in, in, in Megillah Tester, but it doesn't mean that we're only from the tribe of Yehuda and Binyamin and, and Levi, who were, were the mainstay of the southern community, of the southern kingdom. What there was was definitely lots of Jews who eventually also called themselves Yehudim because they associated with Judea or Judah, but we really have the, if you want, the DNA, we have the, the genetic material from all the 12 tribes. They didn't exile, you know, the very last of those 10 tribes. But there is a significant segment of our chapter from verse 7 all the way to verse 23, which deals with the reasons for the exile. And I'd just like to spend a little bit of time reading this and talking about it a little bit. For example, it says, when Israel, sang, when Israel sinned to Hashem, their God, who brought them out from Egypt, from the hands of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and they went and feared other gods. Even that opening line is just fascinating, almost as if to say, look what God did for you. God took you out of Egypt. How could you rebel against me? How could you betray me? And then it says, 
וילכו בחוקות הגויים אשר הוריש השם מפני בני ישראל. They went in the practices of the nations who God dispossessed before בני ישראל. And almost every line here is intertextual. I'll just give you an example. Here, this is harking back to Vayikra chapter 20, where it says, Don't follow the practices of the nations who I am exiling from before you. Because all these all these practices they did, and, and I, I couldn't stand them. And I said, you should inherit their land, and I will give it to you to inherit the land which is uh, milk and honey. But the implication is that if we act the same way, then we will be stripped of our rights to living in the land. In a few verses' time, it says, Verse 15. And they, they rejected his laws. And this reminds us, we're going to read this week, if you follow my laws, then everything will be great. But, but if you spurn my laws, that Mishpatai Tigal then you will suffer rack and ruin and exile and all sorts of all sorts of uh, horrors. So once again, the same phrase from Vayikra is coming up here. In verse 10, They established pillars and holy trees on every high hill and underneath every leafy tree. But this is a direct quote from Sefer Devarim, chapter 12, where we're told to be very, very careful to destroy destroy all the places that the pagan nations who you are dispossessing um, destroy all of their worship sites. And where are their worship sites? On the high hills and under every leafy tree. What do we see here? We see that Israel have really, I, I put it this way, um, the covenant that was given in the Torah, in the book of Vayikra, in the book of Devarim, we're told all of those terms right from the beginning. Maybe Sefer Malachim is saying there are no surprises. The terms of the covenant, the terms of the agreement were, were very clear to you. And by using intertextuality to, to come back to all these phrases, Tanakh is making it very, very clear that there's no, there's nothing surprising here. That the the covenant was was known, the covenant was transparent, and that the people, by transgressing it, brought about their own demise. This is indeed a very, very tragic episode and a very tra- tragic chapter. Um, and the the passage ends with verse 19 even Judah did not keep the laws of God and frequently went in the ways of the northern kingdom of Israel in their practices um, until God that word again uh, God spurned the whole seed of Israel and they had all sorts of troubles. That's a phrase which comes from Sefer Shoftim. But the point is that here, that single line gives us a warning 
that what has happened to the northern kingdom can happen to the southern kingdom. In fact, the, the, the southern kingdom is going to last for about another 135 years, but already we're sort of being given an inkling, we're being hinted to that what happens to one can happen to the other. That's it for today. See you tomorrow.